And were you aware that this is our 150th episode spectacular? No. <laughs> it's our 150th episode spectacular. Welcome back to This Week in Film. It's the weekly. weekly podcast where we get together and talk, talk about, about the movies we've seen over the past, past seven, seven days. days. I'm Nick Ferranto, joined as always by Midwest Matt Lauer. Matt, how's it going? It's going pretty good, Nick. How are you? I'm good. Happy Ugh. Valentine's Day. It's going pretty well. Sorry, my English. Happy Valentine's Day to you, sir. To all of you listening, happy Tuesday the 19th. <laughs> Hey, Matt, have you seen any movies this week? I did. Did you? I sure did. I saw two movies. I saw one movie. Oh, okay. I watched the movie Battle Los Angeles from 2011. Really? And Jurassic Park from 1993. Oh, the good one. Yeah. I watched Anna from 2019, which is a Luc Besson movie. Oh, I wanted to see that. I could tell. I guess I'll hear about it. Well, I guess I'll begin, since I saw the most this week. All right. And I will start with Battle Los Angeles. As I said, from 2011, it is directed by Jonathan Liebesman. It stars Aaron Eckhart, Michelle Rodriguez, Bridget Moynihan, and Michael Pena is in this movie, too. Wait a minute. There's also a guy... (laughs) I got a few questions already. One... I have no idea what this movie is. Uh, when you said uh, Battle for Los Angeles, I was thinking like Escape from L.A. Two, why Why did you say that person's name like that? Because there's a dude on SNL for a while named Bobby Moynihan, and I was doing it like Don Pardo. Oh. Bridget Moynihan. I see. Musical guest. Muse. Foot fun. Muse is uh, No. And Michael Pena is also in this movie, mm-hmm. I, I think I said. And then there's also a guy who I don't know his name, but he looks just like Eminem. I may or may not refer his to this character as is Eminem. Draco Malfoy. <laughs> it's not him. So this movie <laughs> is the story of a of of a video game that was never made and wait, wait, was wait, turned wait, into wait. a movie. Let's pause again. Uh huh. That's not what the movie's about. That's just how it got started. No, that's basically what the plot of this movie is. I think. The, the plot of the movie is that there was a video game that turned oh, no, into I'm the sorry. events. Oh, L- Allow me to backtrack. So this movie feels like it's based on a video game that was never made. Oh, I see. It's an yeah. analogy. Yeah. And it's just a shade under two hours long, and about 50 minutes of it is any good. <laughs> so, yeah. It kind of starts like 20 minutes into the movie, and then we flash back to the beginning of the movie, which is a waste of time. Wow. But basically, aliens are invading the world, and Los Angeles is the location where we're going to spend most of our time, because... That's where the main characters are. Aaron Eckhart is this Marine, and he's trying to retire because he's he's kind of done. He gives his notice, and then the aliens attack, and they're like, hey, buddy, no one's out. We're all in. We're going to war. And so they go to war. And 
it's it's okay when when stuff is happening but there's a lot of times when stuff is not happening and it's a lot of it is very cliched and very hackneyed and sometimes just downright terrible if they got rid of all of the terrible stuff it probably would have been a pretty cool war movie but instead you've got they they rescue these civilians and the civilians are with them for the rest of the movie and it's just boring for the most part i I could give you a question here though because there's a word that keeps popping into my head and if you were to on a scale of one to ten how lazy does this movie feel 10 being very lazy yeah 10 being like the most action wise it's not lazy at all but dramatically wise it's pretty lazy i'd probably put it at like a six or a seven okay just because of the military cliches and oh i'm getting married i hope my sweetheart back home doesn't forget about me like all that stuff and the paint by numbers yeah it's it's really that and that stuff gets irritating real quick where like the movie starts off they're basically on their way to their first battle with the aliens in this helicopter and like all these helicopters are blowing up around them and you're like oh awesome we're starting off right in the middle of this war this is awesome and like the guys on the chopper are scared there's some dudes who are like woo and we, we get into it and then it just flashes back to like the day before and cnn is on and they're like strange meteors are coming out of the sky weird huh and then they they crash into the ocean and then these alien monster robots come out and start shooting up the place and and then we go to war but before that we get we have to meet all of the individual soldiers and and get some backstory on them and aaron eckhart has this ridiculous backstory where he served in Iraq or Afghanistan and something went wrong and men under his command died but he didn't including the brother of one of the guys in his new squadron and we have to keep hearing about oh man now that we're under Aaron Eckhart's command is he gonna let us die too and you're like oh god damn it let this go this is this is a waste this is just a waste of time and the most direct comparison that i can make to this movie is saving private ryan interesting where i really like saving private ryan like i don't think it's a a great movie but it's it's a very uh well i take that back i think it's a great movie but it's not a very good story it's just like a lot of a lot of sequences put together that mm-hmm. work but for the most part you're just with these soldiers on their journey to rescue Matt Damon. And we get some backstory along the way about some of these characters and blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, there's like a huge fight and and all that stuff. But by the end of the movie, you kind of care about the characters. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this movie, they're like, you have to care about these people from the beginning. And you don't. You don't care about them at all because one, they're all Marines. So half of them, the the ones who are all white guys, they all kind of they all kind of look the same, mm-hmm. except for the dude who looks like Eminem. So it's kind of hard to figure out who's who. Like there's one guy who has a mustache, and you're like, oh okay, that guy exists. How come he's allowed to have a mustache? <laughs> and then, like like those are the things that stick out in your head. And then there's a couple of African American characters. And like one of them wears glasses and the other one doesn't. And so you're like, oh, okay, that's the difference between these two guys. And then Michelle Rodriguez shows up for some reason. And you're like, okay, she's the girl. But like for the most part, it's like four guys and they keep cutting between these different characters and you don't know who's talking to who. And you're like, I don't care about these characters. Let's just 
just stick with the war. You know, like that's what I'm here for. I'm not here for these characters. Let's stick with the war. And they try to have this big dramatic sequence with Aaron Eckhart and the dude whose brother died, where he like confronts him about his brother's death. And Aaron Eckhart says, there's not a day that goes by. I don't think about that. And then because of Aaron Eckhart's passionate speech about memorizing people's social security numbers, they decide that Aaron Eckhart is worth dying for. And they all just, they just go into the final battle together. It's pretty terrible. But the action sequences are pretty good. When the war stuff is going on, I feel like a lot of that is, it feels very real. I work in television and sit in the dark, so I have no idea what the military is like. And this may be fictional, but my dad, who was in the military, saw this movie. And he said that it's pretty, he says it feels pretty realistic as far as like the military stuff goes, the interactions between the soldiers and the way they, they act on the field. And that stuff is pretty interesting, like how they, they communicate and then they scramble around and just how impossible it is to communicate in the middle of a gunfight. And a lot of that stuff's pretty interesting. And you're fighting this unknown enemy with unknown capabilities and and these guys are just trying to just trying to figure it out on the fly. So that stuff is pretty interesting. There is a 10-minute period where Aaron Eckhart is able to capture an alien robot monster and he just spends 10 minutes trying to figure out how to kill it. <laughs> That's pretty ridiculous. Like looking for and, a weakness or something? Yeah, like he just keeps stabbing it and he's like, it's not dying. How do you kill it? And, and like all these other aliens are like bar- bursting through the doors to either kill them or rescue their friend or whatever. And Aaron Eckhart's looking for what would be its heart or whatever. And then fi- he finally finds this weird bag of goo and he stabs that and the monster goes... <laughs> it leaks all this water everywhere and they're like ah okay just to the right of the heart aim there and then from that point on they're able to just kill these things at will and uh it's pretty ridiculous what's the design on these aliens xenomorphs or like the things from independence day or they kind of look like alpha five from mighty morphin power rangers the, the guy no who works idea the guys <laughs> the robot guy who works with Zordon they kind of look like that but I would say it's a combination of like a robot with a flying saucer head okay with the alien from Independence Day shoved inside it okay because sometimes like their armor gets blown off and they're these big tentacle things and we get told by an expert on CNN that the reason that they're here is for our resources and the resources that they want is our water because there's liquid water on earth Mm -hmm. and in the 14 hours that they're on the planet the earth's ocean levels have dropped by 30 percent what yeah (laughs) but like that's what the expert on cnn is able to say do you get to see any means through which they are stealing the water (laughs) like are they are they like scooping it up with space airplanes or like giant hoses or something they say that there's a great big ship out over the water that's sucking it up and that's how they power their exosuits and their spaceships and stuff their fuel is water the expert on cnn who's like in a house is saying all this stuff (laughs) over skype there's one ship sucking up the water they're all over the world it's a worldwide invasion but we're only in los angeles Okay. I'm just um, I, I'm just thinking if that's one chip and it's sucking up a third. I mean, either way, this sounds really ridiculous, which obviously, and I shouldn't even be making this argument, but <laughs> if it were one chip and a third of the, of the Earth's water, that'd be ridiculous. So, I want to see that. 
I want to see a third of the Earth's water. I mean, not in real life. We're destroying the ocean anyway. But like it, in no, the movie, more water. I want to see the the water level drop a bunch, and then what it looks like for people to fight on the terrain that is now dry land, but was yeah. underwater. Yeah, that would be cool. Do you, do, you, do you get to see that? No. Of course not. No, no. And in fact, at one point, the military says, we're abandoning Los Angeles. We're abandoning Los Angeles. And then for whatever reason, Aaron Eckhart and his squad have to go back into the city because they have an idea about how to destroy the command ship of the aliens. Uh-huh. And on their way in, one of the guys is looking over the city and the power is still on. Hmm. <laughs> like, like all these houses still have electricity. <laughs> I'm like, what? That doesn't because that's how they're able to find the aliens command ship is because there's this one great big grid section that the power's out and Aaron Eckhart asks Michelle Rodriguez, would a bunch of radio frequencies knock out the power? And she goes, uh, sure. (laughs) And they're like, take (laughs) us down there. And of course that's where it is. But the power in all of Los Angeles where these monsters have been destroying everything all day, still on. Hmm. That tells you about the grid in California. Pretty great. But yeah, this movie is, uh, if you've got nothing else to watch and you want to watch like a a war movie, uh, it's probably probably worth checking out but it's feel free to fast forward through the parts that are boring because they are boring the reason that i wanted to watch this is i've been playing a lot of the earth defense force 5 video Uh. game and in fact my son has also been playing it and if you're unaware of the franchise basically giant bugs invade earth and you're on the earth defense force and you have to stop the bugs from invading earth and it's it's fun and kind of mindless and you can play your own music and the first one's great it's campy it's fun you you get lots of fun weapons you can blow up the whole city basically each time you get plopped down to try to fight a bunch of giant bugs the second one was not great. It really didn't. I didn't enjoy it. Uh, but you said you're playing the fifth one and you're having a good yeah, time. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And in fact, my son, who has also been playing it, yeah. beat the game. He beat the game. Hey, good for him. He beat his first video game all on his own. I good job, Alex. Yeah. And now he's playing it again as a different character. Oh, you get to yeah. like choose your person in the fifth one? Yeah, you've got like different classes. You're playing there's this like on late... PlayStation? Yeah. There's like your regular gun guy. There's a girl who can fly. There's like a guy in a mech suit. So like it changes the dynamics of each level. It's it's a fun game. Part of it is that the storyline is so... Re- it's like a really bad Japanese movie translated mm-hmm. into English. And that's part of its charm. Yeah, it is charming. It's, it's a fun game. And it, anyway, it made me want to watch this movie because I was like, oh, that sounds like the plot to this video game. You know what that makes me want to watch? Starship no. Troopers. Yes. I also wanted to watch Starship Troopers too because it's kind of the almost literally the same idea because they're killing bugs but i have seen that before and i had never seen battle los angeles so that's why i went with battle los angeles i still don't remember like this after you describing this whole thing it's not even i don't even I, i didn't know this movie existed it's not a surprise yeah it's when aaron eckhart was at his biggest i guess in 2011 so it's like post dark knight he's kind of tailed off since then but he pops up in weird places there was some movie that he was just in the very beginning of for no reason 
I, I was just someone brought this up recently and I was like, yeah, that that was Aaron Eckhart just at the beginning of some movie. Like, here's your phone. <laughs> you know, like, just walk on, walk off. And you're like, why would you get Aaron Eckhart for that? What kind of contract deal did he have that yeah. he and somebody negotiated? They were like, look, we'll get this last movie out of the way so you can be free to go do something else. We just need you to to hand another actor a thing. And I guess they were uh, uh, one other thing is I think they were hoping that this would be successful and it would start up a franchise, but it did not do well. Apparently let's see if it has the, I mean, it had a budget of 70 million and worldwide it did 200. So that's pretty good. But uh, I guess it just didn't do well enough to warrant any sequels. They were going to do like different, wars across the planet like this mm. was the one in la and then oh, the next Beijing one is in something exactly and the next one i think they wanted to be in paris or something from what i was reading in the trivia so uh, get some of that french money we <laughs> oui, we oui. you know that's a, a you think that it's been going that american music or, or movie uh industry is getting pulled into china for their money but it's really the french because they've been funding all of those <laughs> tiny independent movies <laughs> Well, since Jerry Lewis died, they're they're all over the place. They don't know where to go. They want to get some of that Aaron Eckhart magic. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess I should tell you about what did I watch again? About Anna. Anna is a Luc Besson movie. Now I have not seen tons of Luc Besson movies, but when at the end the credits came up and I realized it was a Luc Besson movie, I was like, oh, that's the feel I'm feeling. that that was the feel of this movie because spoiler alert i will tell you what the movie's about but at the end i was like huh this wasn't a good movie but i kind of enjoyed it (laughs) what's the deal and then as if to answer my question the television was like luke basson that's like oh that's it that's that's what's happening here (laughs) so the movie starts out with some people being taken out by russian spies and it seems like spies are being taken out by spies and then you follow this one girl like suddenly you're in a, a market and a guy is trying to pick up a girl to become a model he's just like hey girl selling things in the russian market and she's like yes i sell well, this is not a good Russian accent. <laughs> yeah. That was perfect. Keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, I sell. <laughs> anyway, so she's like, yeah, I'm selling dolls here. And he's like, how about you be a model instead? And it's like, okay. And two seconds later, she's a model. And you're like, well, this is the pace here is very odd. <laughs> like, so- oh, like she's, it was like a legit offer. That sounds like a setup for porn. Uh, yeah, it, it seems off. And then like. The rest of the movie happens, and and then you get stuff explained to you backwards, and the order of this is a little... And I don't know if this is something I like about it or didn't like, but it's interesting, so I'm going to go with I like it. You know, sometimes you can figure out a movie as it's happening. Like, you can put it all together at the end, right before everything gets revealed, and you can feel kind of smart or whatever, where you're like, oh yeah, I was just picking up on that. This movie, it sort of sets these things up in little pieces, so instead of giving you everything all at once at the end it sort of gives you pieces along the way where it's like hey that thing you've been thinking about it is true this is what's going on here so you can sort of figure things out but but it does seem weird if it didn't hang together you'd be like this movie's bad just just outright bad and and has weird and bad pacing and it's too fast and but it's it kind of has to go at this pace cuz it's like if it walked you through everything slowly then when it explained it later, you'd be like, why am I getting this again? 
Why am I why am I seeing this all again? But what you're getting here is a movie about a woman who is a spy and you're getting it told out of order and you're trying to figure out who she is and what she's I don't think it's not straightforward what she's after like it seems like she's pretty much just wants to live but she's been sucked mm-hmm. into some stuff and you're you're kind of going like how's she going to get out of this or does she actually feel aligned with the government more you know like the russian government the kgb and that's more or less the plot and uh, and I'll leave it at that really because I wouldn't want to spoil stuff and yeah, there's not much if I were to, to get more into the plot that wouldn't spoil a few things. So what happens along the way, though, in a general sense, are these sort of interactions with people that are ambiguous and in which some of the motives are ambiguous, but you're still getting a pretty decent feel for like who people are. You, you don't know whether they're a good guy or a bad guy here and there, but you're like, I have a feel for their personality. That guy may be a good guy, but I don't really like him. Or mm-hmm. that person's probably a bad guy. But he's pretty cool or interesting. The main character is fairly kind of bland. You don't get a lot of personality out of her, but it feels fitting in a way. Uh, it, it feels like she's more or less just trying to survive. So so maybe she's not supposed to have a ton of personality. I'm not sure. I, I've heard that the, the actress in this movie isn't originally an actress. She's a, a model. So some of it may be the but performance. But she used to sell dolls on the street. Well, then she got picked up and they're like, do you want to be in a movie? But you have to kill this guy. Uh, but Luke Basson got out of that. So he was like, well, now that you didn't kill me, you have to be in my movie. But anyway, so, so throughout the movie, you kind of get this sort of chess game kind of feel. You can feel people making moves and you... You don't know exactly which moves they're making. Are they actually taking the action they're taking because they want to be doing that? Or is it part of a three-part plan? So you're not sure what, what direction things are going in. And honestly, the, the further I get from this movie, the more I like it, the more I like that. Because as it was happening, I think it probably was about mm, two-thirds of the way through the movie before it felt like it was coming together. I, I, I could tell that the pieces were going to come together, and to a degree, I, I could kind of predict a little bit of like how, but it didn't really feel like a good experience until really towards the end. So um, one of the things that, that happens throughout the movie that I don't think, I, I think I can tell you it's happening without spoiling it, is that there's like these sort of quasi-romantic or sexual relationships or interactions and they sort of make sense from different angles if you're thinking about people's motives but it's a little confusing in terms of is the movie trying to like does it want me invested in this relationship does it want me to think these people really like each other and care am i supposed to want something for these people here i don't know i can if i can say more about that without spoiling anything so it seems weird at the time and then i think when you once you're kind of away from the movie you can sort of go like okay i can kind of land on a opinion about you know what was really supposed to be going on there but but it makes for a strange experience the the way that i felt throughout the movie with that and with some other points too was just sort of ungrounded so I didn't exactly know where I stood and it made things not so much confusing, but it just didn't allow much for it to be strong feelings. So it's it's not a very emotional experience to watch the movie. There are 
a couple action scenes, and this is getting into the, like the best parts of the movie. There are some action scenes, maybe two really, like one about 40 minutes in and then one towards the end. And it's pretty cool. It's not as kinetic as like the Matrix or something. And it certainly has more of a John Wick feel to it, but it's slower and it's pretty nice action as long as you're not looking to be completely blown away it's a it feels a little bit more real it's it's definitely not like overcut it's not like watching a marvel movie or even worse like a transformers movie where you're like what's going on right now you can see them doing everything and because it's not as fast as some of the things in john wick it doesn't feel quite as pressured but it feels more real and it doesn't and i'm just realizing this now actually that because i I brought up john wick it doesn't have that issue that the john wick movies do where everything is done in a where you can feel each beat following like a pace and it almost feels like a dance this has a lot more variety to it in terms of movements and pacing so it, it it feels more real and it's definitely interesting enough to be to be wondering a lot throughout that said there are some downsides to this too. While you are watching it, or at least while I was watching it, it did feel a bit strange. Some of the switches that make sense later feel kind of like aggressively sudden. Like the movie's just like, I'm just going to yank you over here. Some of the things feel a little bit overly sexual, but again, you know, like it's out of place. But again, like from after the movie, once everything's kind of fallen into place, it makes a little bit more sense. The real drawbacks are some of the performances. There are a lot of... Now, I know my Russian accent wasn't good, but I'm not in a movie. Uh-huh. And in this movie, the Russian accents are terrible. And Helen Mirren is in this movie, and oof, no good. Her accent, her performance, her makeup, which obviously is not her fault. That Something's up with the makeup they put on her. She looks weird. And you know when you're a kid and you put Elmer's glue on your hand and then you like peel it off and you're like, look, a glue hand. Yeah. Before you peel it off, your skin looks funky. It Uh looks like they were like, hey, Helen Mirren, sit still for a second. And then just like sprayed Elmer's glue on her face and then let it dry and went, that looks good. Let's let's do that. <laughs> Nobody in this movie is likable. And because the character, the main character doesn't really have any space to really breathe, she's not particularly likable. She's not dislikable. There's just nothing there. I think the most likable character is a girlfriend that she has at some points in the movie. And she doesn't really have many lines, but she's clearly just the nicest person in the movie. Where you're like, oh, I feel kind of bad for her that she has this stuff going on around her. That must kind of suck. Everybody else Mm -hmm. is like, all right, well, we'll just see what happens here. You don't have much personality. It does have a lot of stupid moments. um, And I think that's sort of like a Luke Besson movie kind of thing. Where it's, it's, it's not like just bad, but you're like, okay, that's kind of cheesy. You know, there are certain things where it's like, okay, someone thought that was clever and without going, yeah, but is it cheesy? They're like, you know what? It, it, whatever. It's 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 fine. <laughs> you know, and then it, it kind of is. It's like, okay, well, it's dumb, but it's it kind of works here. The music, <laughs> there's some point in the movie where, and I think you mentioned this about something a while back where you're like, yeah, the song in the movie is about what's going on in the movie. Uh-huh. And there's definitely a song that's like, and nobody can be trusted <laughs> like okay man wow geez was this was this movie based around this song because this feels very like here's the thesis and the last line of this movie and this is a spoiler but i don't think it will affect your experience the last line of this movie is someone going bitch 
I'm dead serious. And and I'm like, yeah, but that, that's where like two seconds later when Luke Besson's name popped up on the screen, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I don't know if it's tongue in cheek. I don't think it is, but it's just, it's like when, uh, I think back to high school and maybe like I can imagine someone putting together like a short play or something that they wrote themselves and then being like, here it is. And you're like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> but you're like, well, it was kind of fun. And, and that's uh -huh. how this is. There are some weird moments in this too. Again, Luke Basson, that's kind of a, a, if you can think of like the fifth element in like Chris Tucker's character, mm -hmm. weird, you know? And there's a moment in this where... <laughs> Okay, without spoiling this, how do I do this? She ends up telling someone to like pretend to be a dog. <laughs> and they're like, it's just, it's so out of place and weird and it's, it's entertaining and it's strange and just like the changing tone all over the place. I think Luke Basson, like, that's his thing. And if it were somebody else, I, it, and I'm sure there are other people who do that and it's just bad, but with him for some reason, it's got a sort of charming quality to it. So in the end, I had a pretty good time with this movie. Okay. And I, I think you should watch it. And for people out there who are looking for an action movie with a little bit of thinking, but not much, and a female action protagonist, check it out. It's a pretty... I don't know. Solid may not be quite the right word, but uh, it's it's a comfortable recommend. Okay. Yeah, I definitely wanted to see that. I had forgotten about it until you mentioned it. So, yeah, I'll keep that in mind. All right. So, that brings me to the second movie that I watched this week, entitled Jurassic Park from 1993, directed by Steven Spielberg. It stars Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, Sir Richard Attenborough, and so many other people. Like, I feel like I know everyone in this cast. Samuel so Jackson, isn't it? Yeah, Samuel Jackson. I think he just goes by Sam Jackson in the credits for this. I think it was before he became Samuel, but I'm not sure. I can't remember. If you're unaware of Jurassic Park, this is the story of Disney World, but in Disney World where the Pirates of the Caribbean come alive and eat the tourists. That's a line from- right movie sir richard attenborough plays mr hammond who's like a super billionaire he creates this theme park where he was able to clone dinosaurs it's getting ready to open and in order to open it the investors want people to sign off on the safety of the park so the lawyer for the investors gets this mathematician guy who's jeff goldblum and he's dr Dr. Ian Malcolm and Mr. Hammond goes and gets two paleontologists who are Sam Neill and Laura Dern, and they play Dr. Grant and Dr. Sadler. And they're basically going to take a weekend on the island, be wild, and say, hey, this is great. Let's, uh, let's open up this park. But then disaster happens, and the dinosaurs escape, and everyone gets separated and you have this amazing adventure on this island that involves dinosaurs and it's a great story wonderful acting unbelievable special effects and i love this movie i love this movie i love this movie i watched it with my son and he was in thrall oh yeah he was 
he was scared out of his gourd, which is, which is, uh, I feel kind of bad, but like he didn't want, he wouldn't want, he didn't want to turn it off. And in fact, at the, towards the end, when the Raptors are in the kitchen with Tim and Alex or Tim and Lex, he ran upstairs and I had to convince him to come back downstairs. <laughs> I said, he's like, I don't want to see it. Like, you know, when the Raptor comes up to that peephole door and its nose blasts yeah. that steam on the window and then its eye looks in and it's like looking all over the place and he saw that and he took off (laughs) he ran up the stairs so fast and then in order to get him to come downstairs to finish the movie i had to promise him that no one else was going to die (laughs) did did you wonder whether or not you were right are you like wait am i sure everybody else is gonna i was pretty sure because once um the australian guy gets it uh spoiler alert for jurassic park uh, um once the australian guy said i'm like no one else dies because there's only like five people left i was pretty confident but not a hundred percent sure but he came back down and he finished watching it who's this australian the gamekeeper the australian guy clever girl he's australian i guess I assume he's dressed like Crocodile Dundee. I don't. I don't think that you automatically become Australian just because you're wearing khaki. Muldoon. No, he's definitely Australian. I never got that. What did you think he was? Maybe like British. That's the same thing. I don't think so. <laughs> but his name's Muldoon, so like that's an Australian name. Hmm. But like when he when he gets it, I was like, oh, I think that's the last person to die. But then I tried watching this movie with my son like three years ago when he was like four, and he was really into it. He loved the Brachiosaurus scene with the oh wow, look amazing, and he was he was all on board until the T Rex attack sequence, <laughs> and then when the Tyrannosaurus comes through the roof of the Tim and Lex's car. When my son was four, he would lost his mind and ran away screaming <laughs> because it's terrifying. And and this time he stood his ground he had tears in his eyes the whole time <laughs> but he he stayed and he watched it and then when it was over he was like that was neat daddy i was like i know right so like he was scared but he was into it so i was i was pretty impressed pretty impressed with him his sister kept running up and down the steps to like check it out and then leaving check it out and then leaving but this is a wonderful movie for all of the weird plot things that happen in it i don't care there's the sequence when and when the t-rex attacks and then they get the t- tyrannosaurus knocks dr grant and lex off that cliff that appears out of nowhere mm-hmm. i don't care i remember watching or reading a behind the scenes like making of this movie and the script supervisor brings that up to spielberg and she's like so where does this cliff come from right because how did the tyrannosaurus get out and spielberg's like oh that's a great point uh who cares and and they're just like all right no one cares and it works doesn't matter at all no one cares and it doesn't hurt the movie it just advances the story and one thing that i noticed while watching that tyrannosaurus that first tyrannosaurus attack sequence that i don't think i i had ever noticed before is that there is no music that plays during that Mm, it's all it's all like natural sound kind of stuff and the the tyrannosaurus's horrifying interaction and it is brutal and vicious and so perfectly acted and the special my god the special effects i mean there there are sequences where you can go okay that's the that's the cgi and like that's an animatronic there are some times where you're looking at something and you're just like i don't know if that's a 
because I mean, I know it's not a real dinosaur because they don't get hired in Hollywood anymore. So it's definitely a Racism. robot or a computer, right? Speciesism. And you're just looking at it, and you're like, I don't know if this is a robot or a CGI, and it looks so yeah. great. That and moment the, where the the one Velociraptor is like looking up into the ceiling, and you see the the shadow of the grates on its face, like the lights coming through a grate. And so you see the pattern of the light moving across yeah. its face when it's like sniffing up into the air. That is. Yeah. A, where it's got like the Gattaca symbol on him from the computers. It seems so, so like you could just reach out and touch it. it does. But it's, it but it's so, smooth. So it doesn't look like puppety either. Right. It looks like a, it looks real. Uh-huh. All of the dinosaurs in this movie, you believe are dinosaurs. Like you totally buy into the fact that. Oh, these are dinosaurs. Even the gigantic brachiosaurus that shows up in the tree when they're sleeping, like the little the little brachiosaurus that's eating in front of them, and the Tim's like, sneezes think of it her. as like a giant cow. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that one you can tell is a robot, but it's just so well done. And I know some people don't like the kids in this movie because they're, I guess, obnoxious or oh, whatever. But, but I love so them. much more tolerable than kids in oh. most of the other movies. And yeah, definitely, think, definitely the best kids of any of the Jurassic Park movies. That's for damn Oh, sure. absolutely. Absolutely. The kid acting is just so good. There's the sequence where Tim and Lex, they get back to the visitor center and they find the big tray of desserts and they're just going to mm-hmm. indulge. Yeah. And they show Tim eating and then he looks at his sister and they cut back to the girl who is played by... Ariana Richards. Yeah, that's right. And she's just like, her hand is just shaking and it's just perfectly executed like she just she literally she looks really scared and my son who's watching it and again he's seven is like oh why is she so scared what's happening and then they cut back to tim and the shadow of the velociraptor is on the wall and it's just the execution the pacing the music it's just so good so good well and and with the the music thing and and what you'd pointed out before you know people wouldn't think about this much now but like that moment that you're talking about not having music is i don't know if it's a difficult call to make i know a lot of people will probably feel like you should put in some eerie music or something there but it would be such a not not that it would make it bad but if you think about the context of it where this was the first time that an audience was seeing and i saw jurassic park in the theater literally five times um, mm-hmm. when it was a thing, uh, well, six times, cause now I went and saw it on the 20th anniversary too, but I was a, a pain in the ass trying to get to go see that movie over and over again. And in that moment in the theater where that Tyrannosaurus stomps out into the road, that's the first time that ever happened. Yeah. So, and is that effective? I mean, that's, that's the first time that anybody watching a dinosaur movie was like, holy cow, I'm this, I'm seeing what this would actually be like. Mm-hmm. And I think that it not having any music is perfect because it's just you and this dinosaur. And then when it growls or, or roars, it's terrifying. Yeah. Like bone chilling. So loud. Mm-hmm. And powerful. Yeah. It's just such a commanding roar. I watched the thing about cinematic music a while ago. I think it was after the matrix came out. And they were talking about how when you're making a movie, the the music is supposed to enhance a scene, not complete it. And they showed a clip, the clip from The Matrix, where Keanu Reeves is getting 
taught Kung Fu or something for the first time and they play it with the original soundtrack mm-hmm. on top of it. And it's very intense. And you're like, oh, and he's like shaking and he's like, oh, and then he's like, oh, I know Kung Fu. And then they play it again without the musical score. Mm-hmm. And it's just Keanu Reeves shaking in a chair and it looks it looks and sounds ridiculous. And I think to have a scene like this again with the t-rex with no music shows a level of confidence on the part of the filmmaker to say this is how sure i am of how intense this is going to be that we don't need anything else well and i I think it's also uh it's not just an, an absence of music it's like a use of silence too yes yeah that's a great point too that's an excellent point. It's all led up to by the, they're on that dinosaur tour and they keep going to all these different spots and there are no dinosaurs. They're all just hiding. And it's like when you go to a zoo on a hot day and all the animals are sleeping in this, inside their pen. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, okay, great. And then you get to see a dinosaur and it's one of those wonderful moments where you're in awe where Dr. Grant sees the T-Rex or the uh, Triceratops and they get out and everyone goes up to it and it's like really cool looking and it's like half asleep. And they're just like laying on top of it. And it's just so well done where you get like that sense of wonder. And then the very next scene is the most horrifying thing you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Shy of being hunted by the velociraptors. And the movie escalates also. Like it starts off again with the the brachiosaurus is off in the distance and it's it's awe-inspiring or i'm sorry it starts off originally with that velociraptor being put in a cage that's mm-hmm. like the cold open of the movie and yeah. you get to see a guy shooter who is uh shooter. described the script describes him as being grim-faced 40-ish and british someone whose voice commanded attention the muldoon yeah yeah, he's Australian. And let's see, I'm going to look up the actual actor. He's English. <laughs> oh my gosh, he died. Oh, that sucks. Oh, he died in 1999. He was only 53. Wow, that's just like, that's just six mov- uh, years after the movie. Oh, I'm sad now. He's great. Yeah. Bob Peck. Yeah, he was great. He'll always be Australian to me. So he's playing an Australian. And so, but then we go, we go on the dinosaur tour and we get nothing, nothing, nothing. But we introduce all the dinosaurs that we're going to see later in the movie, like the Dilophosaurus, Tyrannosaurus. And then we see a Triceratops off in the distance and we go meet him and it's all inspiring, but we get to be up close with it. And we're like, oh, this is exciting. And then we get back in the cars and then we have a terrifying sequence with the Tyrannosaurus Rex as it escapes. And we have a few moments with the T-Rex. There's like two or three really good moments with the T-Rex. And then the T-Rex basically leaves the movie. Mm-hmm. And then it's the Raptor show for and the rest it, of the movie. And then it gets trained to be a ninja and to sneak up <laughs> on people. Yeah. <laughs> I was reading the trivia for this. Uh-huh. And it says that the original ending of the movie did not involve the T-Rex smashing into the or or sneaking into the visitor center apparently like those bone statues in the in the front office were supposed to fall and crush the velociraptors and while they're making the movie everyone didn't like it they're like this isn't good and then apparently they had like a brainstorming they're like well what if the t-rex showed up and saved the day and they're like f it let's do it (laughs) and it works and the t-rex murders those velociraptors and then he does his big triumphant roar with that beautiful shot that full head to toe shot of the t-rex in that room that's that is basically built for him yeah and then that when dinosaurs rule the earth 
banners banner falls down and he's like just roaring because he's like i am the man Oh my God. It's so good. And then it just cuts to Dr. Grant running out of the place and he goes to Mr. Hammond and he's like, I've decided not to endorse your park. <laughs> uh, it's so good. The other thing in the trivia, it said basically they wanted Dr. Hammond or Mr. Hammond to be an evil version of Walt Disney. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, let's slow down. Walt Disney was already an evil version of Walt Disney. <laughs> That's Mr. true. Mr. Hammond was just kind of a con artist. Well, I mean, in the book, he's he's a little bit... Well, in the book, he's like... Uh, he's not exactly evil-intentioned, but he's very cold. There's not really yeah. warmth to him. I think for the most part, he's painted more like a, like an opportunist. Like, oh, there's technology yeah. and ideas, and I can, I can do a lot with this. Maybe... Uh, I'm trying to remember how much it, it, that made it sound like he was interested in like entertaining children. Um, mm-hmm. I know that he did lots of things that all had like weird spectacle to them. So maybe there was something to that, but he's definitely not this cute little Santa Claus type guy like Richard Attenborough is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The rich Richard Attenborough character is much friendlier than the guy in the book. And he dies in the book. Yeah. Which I always forget about, because I've read that book probably uh, 20 times. Mm -hmm. And Malcolm dies in the book, too, right? Yeah, but he comes back back in the the second second book. (laughs) Yeah. But there's a sequence where it seems like they're trying to get into a little bit of the darker side of Mr. Hammond, where he's lecturing Nedry. And he says, I don't blame people for their mistakes, Nedry but I do expect them to pay for them. And I was like, the, what the hell, Dr. Mr. Hammond? <laughs> like, what the hell does that mean? Do you, are you aware that, like, is he deliberately exploiting Nedry or is, did Nedry just agree to a low bid to work this job? That's the one thing I, I don't remember from the book or, and they don't get into it in the movie at all is, and it doesn't really matter like why Nedry has his money problems, but you are curious but but at the same time why mr hammond takes it so personally guess nedry some sort of like ex-con or something like that there's there's yeah there's something implied in the movie that's like they, they don't tell you at all it's not like we're we're missing something that's in there it's just like here's some conflict between these guys so you can go all right i guess that's why nedry's not more loyal you know, there's this right. this kind of father son conflict kind of thing, and yeah. must have something to do with some money or something because he's like, yeah, no, I need to get paid better. It's this this sort of work is not cheap, and you don't yeah. get the impression that in the movie anyway that Hammond's going like, yeah, no, you're getting minimum wage, buddy. <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah. here, let's make there be some other reason that he's not yeah. paying him more. And that way you just don't have to explain as much stuff as in the book. But uh, but I, I, I always in that moment too, I'm like, I wonder what he did. <laughs> like, did, yeah. he, did he break something? Is, he, is, is some of his, are his wages being garnished to pay for something that he, yeah. he broke? Nedry also seems like the kind of guy where no matter what you paid him, it wouldn't be enough. Right. I mean, because even when um, Dotson is there giving him like $5 million in, in that briefcase, and then Nedry is like, asks for the check, and then he looks at Dotson, he's like, don't get cheap on me. That was Hammond's mistake, is that no amount of money will ever be good enough for Nedry. Like, mm. he will betray everyone for a nickel. 
That's why he's an interesting character. And they, there's not a whole lot for him to do, but he does set everything in motion. And they never address that can of dinosaur eggs that gets washed under the yeah. mud. Like, I always thought that would come back in one of the sequels, but it, it makes sense that like those dinosaur eggs wouldn't just grow outside. <laughs> right. of a, they didn't just turn, you know, into, like, turn into actual eggs. <laughs> right. But you could tell like when they did that, they were like, okay, well, we have something for a sequel if we yeah. need it. And then they're like, ah, we don't need it. But in the book, when Nedry gets it, that is one of my favorite deaths of all time. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. because it's so brutal and it's so graphically explained how the Dilophosaurus cuts his stomach open and his guts fall out. And he's like, he can't see anything because he's blinded by the spit. He could feel his intestines and he's like, oh, what? Oh, God. Oh, man. It's just so visceral. Yeah. I well, love it. And one thing that happens in the book, too, that I don't I don't think it happens in any of the movies. Now, I, I guess dinosaurs do get killed in the movies by people, but it's in the in the book. They poison them. You know, one of the velas- velociraptors, they like inject poison into an egg and slide it across the floor and the raptor bites the egg and then just starts having a seizure. And I don't and, remember that at all. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Grant kills a velociraptor. Oh, I don't remember that at all. I know in the book there are no lethal weapons on the island because right. Mr. Hammond didn't want anyone to shoot them. Right. Well, but And so this is their kind of workaround. And I, I, know, I don't know how many dinosaurs they kill, but there's really, at least in the first movie, there's no like fighting back. It's just running away and trying to hide, which I think is probably how most people would be handling it. I want to go back to that thing again, though. I, I, the The silence and the tyrannosaurus and you know i was talking about jaws another spielberg movie a couple weeks ago and how it's like really intimate and i i feel like jurassic park's bigger but it's still got a fair amount of intimacy like you do get these moments where you're feeling the characters and stuff but also that like that moment with the dinosaur with the tyrannosaurus is very like intimate in a way like like you feel very vulnerable with that silence and if they were to put music in there i think it would really take you out of feeling like you're in this car with these two little kids who are just experiencing just nightmare stuff you know, like as a little kid with an imagination and being afraid of like, oh, what would it be like if there was a dinosaur? Oh, God, now I'm scared. Like you get to right. be there, be a kid in a car with a giant monster that's just roaring out how it can destroy you <laughs> with yeah. you know, ease. I mean, the dinosaur is doing everything it can to get to you. And if, if John Williams had thrown in some drum beats or something there, it would just be like, oh, this feels like a movie. Yeah. And it doesn't um, feel like a movie. It feels like you're yeah. in Jurassic Park and it's great. Yeah. And even though the scene has no music, the music in this movie is some of the best mm-hmm. m- movie music of all time. This is one of the first CDs I ever got. Me too. Um, one for Christmas, the year, the year I got a CD player, I got two albums with my CD player and one was Weird Al's Dare to be Stupid. And the other CD was the Jurassic Park soundtrack. soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have listened to it so many times. Treetop for a Bed is still the most boring song. That's but... <laughs> true. Beep, boop, boop. Yeah. Boop, boop, boop. And you're like, let's get back to Nedry stealing yeah. the embryos. That's some good music right there. <laughs> Nick and I know this soundtrack so well that we were hanging out doing something not Jurassic Park related at all. And there was some sort of noise. And Nick turns to me and goes, 
I was like half a second from doing that myself. It was just like right on point where you could just like hear something. It's the right note or a sound and be like, oh, yeah, I'm in Jurassic Park again. Got it. It might have been. I think it might have been like a gate opening or something that. Oh, man. Uh, But this movie is a masterpiece. It's another Steven Spielberg masterpiece. We talked about Jaws a few weeks back and how you know Spielberg directed that too and he directed this and he has a few other fantastic movies and his good movies are so unbelievably good that his average movies seem terrible in comparison mm-hmm. his later stuff like the stuff he's putting out now I haven't really watched like I didn't see that BFG movie I didn't see Ready Player One like I just don't have the drive to see a Spielberg movie like I used to right but the man is a master of his craft the the way he's able to tell a story when you can tell he's really into it there's nobody better like you can tell yeah. like that spielberg magic is spielberg magic his his real successes succeed at a level that is almost only his yeah and unlike george lucas it's easy it's easy to compare the two i mean because they're contemporaries and they're quite good friends well, and that, they work together on things you know like they're both they did, involved yeah. in like indiana jones and stuff but spielberg's track record is varied uh-huh. Uh, like he's made a whole bunch of different kinds of movies, whereas George Lucas basically made made Star Wars and that was really it. And then everyone else did did Star Wars for him and he just produced. But Spielberg is in is in the thick of it. Like, I assume that all the good that was Indiana Jones is all Spielberg and, and Harrison Ford. Oh, and the trivia for this, they originally offered the Dr. Grant role to Harrison Ford and he turned it down because he said uh, hmm. he didn't think he was right for the part. And Sam Neill... There is no other Dr. Grant. Yeah, Sam Neill's like if if it were going to be somebody else, I'd be like, oh, I could kind of see Harrison Ford. He'd have to like be on his less grumpy days. But like, yeah, Sam Neill yeah. works perfectly. All right, Matt. It's that time of the show where we add to our movie rankings list. All right. And were you aware that this is our 150th episode spectacular? No. <laughs> it's our 150th episode spectacular. I'll go first. All right. And we'll start at the top. And coming in at number one on Nick's movie ranking list is Jurassic Park. Oh, see, I uh, thought you were going to go with that battle Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot I talked about that already. This movie gets an easy five stars, oh, yeah. but I do not recommend it. Shut up. I do recommend it. And then going all the way down to number 86, below Fern Gully and above Terminator Dark Fate, goes Battle Los Angeles, which I will give two stars, but I'm going to say no, I don't recommend it. Yeah, don't don't worry about this Yeah. One didn't didn't get that vibe yeah that's my list for the week okay matt you also have a list yeah i'm gonna put anna on that list between john wick chapter three and john wick chapter two Ooh, splitting the wicks yeah splitting the wickets you know because it's got some of the action it's got way less action by the way just so we're clear like way way less action but it's got some of the action and a bit more interesting of a story and experience uh, and I'm going to give Anna three stars 
and a gentle recommend. Okay, very cool. But if you want to see our current list, you can check out our website, thisweekinfilm.com. You'll find a link there to our letterboxed page, which keeps our movie ranking list neat and tidy. You can find my list and Matt's list and then a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, just go to thisweekinfilm.com. Matt, anything for Midwest Matt recommends this uh, week? Yeah, Nick, get out. And I'm going to do something I don't normally do, at least not on purpose, and that is recommend something I've just recommended, and that is oh. the podcast. I hate it, but I love it. I keep listening to this show, and these women are cracking me up out loud all the time. And I realized, and by the way, I should have mentioned this before to give you a little bit of like, it's a relevant amount of tone. They are super horny, these two women. Like, the, the way oh. they're, they're talking is... They're definitely objectifying a lot of people. But somehow it seems, I don't know, pretty innocent. But what I really realized, what I realized I really like about this show, or one of the things I really like about it, is I, I just agree with them on everything. Like, everything they're saying, I'm like, that's exactly right from my perspective. So, you know, like, listening to them talk about The Last Jedi, I'm like, yeah, exactly. Just to bring that one up again. Uh, <laughs> and, like, last night I listened to their episode on Tremors, and I'm like, yeah, they get it. So, although I don't think there was anything about it that they hated. But, yeah, man, check check it out. It's really funny. And not that Nick and I are always on the same page, obviously, but, like, if you tend to like our takes on things, you might really like their takes on things, too, because they have a kind of a similar... Uh, they se- seem to be coming at things from a pretty similar angle. Okay, cool. If you would like to send us an email and tell us what you watched in film this week so that we can judge it on the air send us an email at thisweekinfilmpodcast at gmail.com otherwise matt do we have anything else for this week i got nothing all right well i guess that that is the end of the reel and you wait we will see you next week in film see you then and remember judge movies not people dinosaurs that works Laura Dern looks younger now than she does in Jurassic Park, which is insane. Talking about she got a baby face in Jurassic Park. Yeah, but like if you look at her now, like you're just like this. This is thirty years ago. She almost looks exactly the same. She's like the Paul Rudd of ladies. I don't even well, except she doesn't look like she's has a hangover all the time. Um, (laughs) I won't. I won't talk about how I what I think of how Laura Dern looks in Jurassic Park until we have the recorders off. (laughs) 